the latest on the world game. This is 442 Insider. Welcome to this week's 442 Insider Podcast. Uh, I'm Andy Jackson, publisher. Joining me is Trevor Trahan, editor. Hello. And Aidan Orman, our web guru, European correspondent, Bangkok correspondent, <laughs> all around man about town. Hello. Here he is, in his slippers. Um, so <laughs> Those shower slippers are incredible. <laughs> so let's kick off, lads, obviously, as always at this stage of the season. Uh, Plenty of things to discuss. Uh, let's kick off with uh, the Asian Cup final. Didn't go the way we'd hoped, uh, although you know it has to be said the soccer has put up a, a decent showing. Uh, we went down 1-0 in extra time. To Japan, where do we want to start, Trev? Overall, let's yep. talk about the game first, then we'll talk about the tournament. So yeah, um, let's look at the game in, in isolation. Sure, we said it was going to be tight. Um, it certainly was. I, I actually think it was more open than I expected. There's probably more chances for both teams than uh, I thought going into it, especially more chances for the Socceroos. Um, I know a few people are having a go at Dave Carney for, um, you know, he's, you know, the actual Japan goal where he sort of, you know, dived across rather than staying with his man. But I'd be more annoyed at the players that missed a hatful of chances and in yeah, a lot yeah, of yeah. cases didn't even hit the target. Yeah. Um, we should have had the game wrapped up, not even by a single goal, but by more than that. Um, Japanese goalkeeper was brilliant, but yeah, it's... You know, there was nothing wrong with the way we sort of approached the game in terms of, you know, creating chances. There's not a lot you can do when your players end up missing them at the end. Mm. Okay, Aido, uh, happy with the way we played, happy with our approach, the tactics. Absolutely, I think we surprised Japan. I think they were struggling to get through us in the first half. I think tactically in the second half, when they they made that switch from the left-sided defender, I think that was a key move in the game. But I think I totally agree with what Trevor said. You know, if you miss those many chances, I mean, Kill had a brilliant chance in the second half, first half. When you miss that many chances, this is always going to come back and bite you at some point. Yeah, I but mean, really bar, bar the Kill one, though, did we create that many clear-cut chances? There was half ones, Kill, Slice, Mackay's one. One into the box. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I must admit, I, and it sounds like in the three of us here, I mean, the majority, I was a li- in the minority, I mean, I was a little bit disappointed with our approach. I felt that we were becoming a bit too predictable with the diagonal lump into the box, and we didn't change our tactics when Japan did, you know, when they brought on the third centre back with the specific task of marking Cahill. Um, and I just felt that we didn't really didn't really vary it enough, you know, and we became a bit predictable. It was a, it was an approach that got us some early joy, but we, when it stopped, we kept doing it, you know. And um, and I just felt option, that I just I mean? felt that you know you look at you look at the Japan goal. That goal came about because they got behind our defence. They turned the, the, the defenders square, and a man was able to get free because the defender or Carney was stuck between going towards the ball or going or staying with the man. We never did that. Our balls were being played from 30 yards out into the penalty box. So the defenders can see everything in front of them. Mm. They can see Kuehl, they can see Kale, they can see the ball. And no one can run behind them because if they do, they're offside. Mm. And I just felt we didn't work the ball wide enough. I thought we were, we were getting the ball into the box too early. I and think I, I mean, we could I have just been a little bit more patient. Wiltshire got a few chances early on in the first half. Yeah. I think I think that was probably actually probably our best chance when a lovely low ball came in. It got in behind the defenders. But I totally agree. After a while, it just became easy to defend. And I think yeah. as a defender, the more you ha- you play against that type of game, it's easier. 
But I think we were coming off the back of winning a game 6-0, playing that approach. And I think once you've won a game 6-0 in a semi-final, but you've got the think, right to go into against, a final. against Uzbekistan, our first resort was to lump the ball. No, but it was the most effective the part of our game. But mm. like you know, if I read, well, a, if I read, disagree. Look at look at the goals. Look at you know, Valeri's goal was caused by you know Mackay running past the centre forwards, getting behind their defence. Once they've gone down to ten men back. and mm. spread it, and then they've got a par. I think it was a different game once they went down to ten men. But, but look at look at Kiel's opening goal. Yeah. It was a it was a ball played into his feet through by Mackay coming forward from midfield. I just felt we did. We, we sort of didn't play as well, you know, the, the way that we played against Uzbekistan. And I didn't mind it as an approach to start with, but we didn't change it. Japan changed the way they set up mm. uh, to deal specifically with the way that we were playing, and we didn't we didn't respond to that. Yeah, I mean, if, I know this long ball thing goes on. I mean, if I read another anti-long ball blog on SBS, I'm going to go Michael Douglas falling down style, I think, because I can't read another one based on that agenda. Yeah, I, you know, they could have changed up, but I suppose, you know, the point is... We were creating chances, and what was the other option? What was the more ball-playing option that we had on the bench? I mean, I think Emerton would have been good for more width, yeah. but I'm not sure mm. if we had anyone on the bench that could literally, you know, come on and dictate the game or you know, find a more intricate pass. OK, all right, I'm going to put another controversial point out there. <laughs> oh, good. Uh, Harry Kuehl, no doubt, had a great tournament. Played well as the target man. Yep. However, I would say that his limited range of finishing... Costas, because he he you know his preferred his his default way of finishing is to strike through the ball, hit it hard and straight, and whereas I would argue that a, 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 you know a, a top class finisher, centre forward would would have a variety of finishes at their ability, little chip, pass the ball in, little curler, and and I think that that in the end Costas. Mm. It's, that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's an interesting point And I suppose thinking about it We've got a lot of players A lot of players in that final third That score a certain type of goal Don't we? We have Cahill Who's great arriving mm. late in the box We've got Josh Kennedy Who we know is great in the air But with his feet You know, I mean the goal he did score With his feet come off his shin In that World Cup, um, Cup warm-up game And then like you say Harry We said it before and he, Like striking through the ball Across the keeper, doesn't he? And he needs a little bit of space Like the goal against India You know, he needs a bit of space To kind of set himself uh, You know, and then fire at home So yeah, we probably have got A front line that only scores A certain brand of goal And I just think And I've always thought We just needed one of those People that could just score ugly goals Could just, you know Just lived for scoring goals from six yards You know Never, you know, never won a header, never did anything mm. else. You'd hope that Scott McDonald might be that person because that's what yeah. he's done in his club career, but he's not done it on the international stage. But I also, you know, I also felt with Cahill, I thought some of Cahill's impact was was lessened by the fact that he was playing as a target man, yeah. and you know, he's there already with the defender marking him. I think mm. so, so. In the Premier League, his ability is arriving late with his timing, running onto the ball, leaping and beating. And I think yeah. his, his impact was lessened by playing up front. But I think, arguably, that, that's because we don't have any out-and-out finishers. We don't have, you know, Scott McDonald's had a number of opportunities and has not been able to step up. I think it highlights Robbie Cruz. I think the type of goals yeah. he scores in the A-League, if he can start to do that in the national team, I think he does score different types of goals. Um, but also, I think we've got to pay tribute to Eiji Kawashima. Oh, yeah. I agree with your point about Kiel, but I think also Kawashima, I mean, that save in the second half with the foot, 
Yeah, it was it's outstanding. And, yeah. and I think with the header with Cruz as well. I mean, I just think he had a, an outstanding tournament. Yeah. And then the final, he really stepped, stepped up. And Japan yeah. have never really had really good quality keepers. It's the first yeah. time I've really seen a good keeper from Japan. And also, you know, yes, you can look at Carney. Um, he, his movement towards the near post creating the space, but it was still a quality finish. To hit that first time, a controlled volley, yeah. you know, at waist high. You know, how many times you see those end up in Rose Ed and it's like, okay, Carney gets a bollock in from Schwartz, so we put the ball down and we play again. Yeah, yeah. You know, he, he, arguably he had time to actually bring it down and finish, yeah. but he, yeah. he chose not and to. And it was nice, I saw it in Europe, actually. It's nice to see the Europeans uh, see a game like that and see a finish like that. It really raises the profile and raises the, cr- the credibility of the Asian Cup in, in Europe when they sh- show that goal. Time after time, you found yeah. a positive from that goal, oh, yeah, Edo. Well done, mate. yes. Yeah. It, it was n- nowhere near as good technically, but it reminded me of the Zidane Champions League goal yeah. where he fired it. And I actually saw two pictures from it and a very, very similar Technique. body shape, yeah, yeah. When, when they put the ball away. So when you're in the Zidane bracket, you're doing well. Okay, all right, let's, let's look quickly at the tournament as a whole. Um, out of 10, Trev, how would you rate it and why? Out of 10, um. On the spot here, I'll, I'll, I'll probably go. Um, I'll probably go an eight. Um, I, I like sixteen-team tournaments. I like that smaller format. I always have because I, I just think it. You know, you get big games like South Korea, or Australia in in the sort of group stages. Um, mm. And then I, th- you know, I think there were there was times where there was sort of plenty of plenty of gold. Japan smashes, you know, Saudi Arabia, Australia, Uzbekistan. The final was great because it was clearly the two best teams in Asia, the teams that deserve to be there. South Korea finished third. So in that sense, I like the fact that the tournament kind of ended up kind of the way it deserved yeah. to end up, didn't it? Yeah. You, you would, as, as hard as it is to say, the top three probably was a fair reflection on the three best teams in the tournament. Um, and yeah, there was, you know, overall a, a decent tournament. Okay. Ada, same question to you, mate. Yeah, I'd give it 8.5. Five. Um, you know, just because I just thought that the, the, the surfaces were outstanding to play on it. And four years ago, when we played at the Asian Cup in, in Indonesia, Malaysia, Vietnam and Thailand, it was just, you know, some of the pitches were just not not up to standard. So pitches were great. The camera work was outstanding. 51 cameras, Yes, apparently. yeah, I saw that. How good was that? Yeah. I mean, from a... Well, I don't know how you call it, but right above the, the players, some great shots. Um, I love the fact that I wasn't there, but you know the fact that you could get around and see. I think the Indian coach was at a game just before his own game, and you could get around town very easily. Um, crowds were a little bit low in the early stages, but and there were some issues no, really. with with um, tickets, I believe. But all in all, I think it was it was a boutique tournament. You know that kind of small, kind of good tournament to watch, and it's nice to see teams like Syria and Jordan really do well, even mm. though they didn't make it to the, the final stages. So yeah, I, w- I was really impressed, and, yeah. and Australia's performance, I think, overall was quite good. Okay, yeah, I think I'd probably give it, a, I'd probably give it an eight for the tournament, but I do think that you know, the question marks that we still had, you know, are still there, as in who is going to be our new central defensive partnership long term. You know, who is going to be our new centre forward long term? You know, and so I think, but, you know, I think there was, uh, obviously, it was a major tournament for Matt Mackay. Um, I think Yedinak and Valeri um, definitely stayed the Yednak, case. Yedinak, I see you're starting I still don't like the two of them together. I think they're, they're too limited in their past. I would have much preferred Mackay to have been in the middle with either or, with, with Emmett and outright. Um, uh, I thought Holman had a, had a pretty disappointing tournament after a good yeah. World Cup. But, um, but yeah, so I think there's still a lot to answer. Um, hopefully against Germany now we might see, 
you know, a bit more sort of speculation and a few of these guys like the Spiranovic's to get a chance. Um, and some of the older players need a break. I mean, they've played yeah, Asian Cup and you know, World Cup. There's two you games can't, in June. You know, yeah, the, maybe ju- the June and Germany game, there's gotta be, it's got to be a, a real young squad, I think. I'm sure put, the old heads will probably be putting their hands up to say, look, guys, we owe, we owe Germany one. Let us, let us play <laughs> this one. But I'd be all for giving the senior guys June off and saying, look, yeah. you've sat along and seen, let's play some of the young lads Absolutely. in June in mm. Australia. But just on that ticket fiasco that Aidan touched on there um, you know the, the accusation was that there's fans not being let in with tickets I think what they said was because some people said there was 10,000 fans out there that couldn't get in apparently that's nonsense they reckon it was 3,000 fans but only 700 of them had tickets Right. so their approach not that too clever one was oh we're just going to shut the gates because we don't mm. want these people surging us but um, the footage on YouTube looked pretty ugly in terms of their, oh, yeah. their approach the stick to out it. you yeah, see the guy with the stick yeah, yeah. But I, think I, I heard I mean what I heard from a fella in Doha on the Guardian podcast I think he was saying that they were pretty nervous about empty spaces and so had let people arrive in early in without tickets who had taken up their spots and so then they right. they did they had a situation with more people than seats so unfortunately people who had legitimate tickets that were arriving half an hour before weren't, weren't allowed in so obviously plenty of work there to do logistically um, mm. before the World Cup in 2022 because certainly the crowds you would expect will be uh, on a different scale then um, let's come back close to home A-League, uh, quick round up of last weekend um, kicked off Brisbane uh, there was no Friday night game so it was all a uh, uh, triple header on Saturday Brisbane 2-1 Melbourne Heart uh, Solazano opened the score in early doors James Meyer got a second his, his uh, second contribution to the score sheet Sivon got one back uh, Brisbane looking unstoppable really yeah it's their, it's their season they'll, they'll, they'll win it Angel get coach of the year and uh, it's their year it's their time it's why they sort of celebrate a bit prematurely yeah going round I was like hang on a minute well, I thought I, they'd I thought won it yeah, yeah. won it yet you know and I don't think they have yet I mean it's mathematically and they've got another home game that wasn't their last home game was it yeah they've got one, their last games at home yeah. so yeah I mean it, the Mariners t- uh, mathematically can still win it but I think Brisbane would have to lose their last two games and the Mariners mm would have to win their last three. So it's, it's unlikely, but not impossible. And, and to have done it with all of these floods going on around them is even more remarkable. So they haven't switched pitches. Yeah. yeah. Uh, talking about the Mariners, uh, a fantastic result for them. Uh, further staking their claim for second spot. Uh, going to Adelaide and winning. Good crowd there, 12,000. Uh, and just uh, uh, blew, the, blew Adelaide away in the first half. Perez, a, a fantastic opening goal. And... Matched by, uh, some might say, staking a claim for a Socceroos left-back berth. Think we need one. Uh, was, was Josh Rose, who's had mm. a cracking season, right. and finishing with his right foot, which is nice. Uh, Travis Dodd got one back in injury time. But uh, Trev, yep. you know, Mariners are, are finishing strongly. You know, they've, had a, they've had a great season and, and slipped under the radar a bit, you'd probably say. But they've been there or thereabouts the whole season. They don't, they don't, I can't remember them ever getting a, a thump in this year. You know, they're always difficult to beat. But then when Perez is on song, um, well, that's the thing. You know, they've it? actually got that creativity in midfield with McGlinchey, Bazanich, and Perez. With Griffiths sat just behind Griffiths, sort of anchoring things. Oh, he's a hardly, un- highly underrated player. Yeah. Um, but Trevor, I mean, Perez, and Spansfeig as well. I think has been has been quality. You know, great recruit. From, yeah. from I mean, they, they fly under the radar every season. It's because they, you know, they don't search out for media. You know, they just get on with their business up there in Gosford and. Uh, and Arnie answering his critics with yes. every week, you'd say? Yeah, absolutely. Arnie? Yeah, absolutely. You know, credit to him. He needs to win something. 
to, I think, firmly put that one to bed, but outstanding season. I think the criticism was levelled at um, him managing a, an international standard. You yeah. know, even though he's doing brilliantly in the A-League and I'm, I'm pleased for him and stuff and he is proving people wrong, um, he's, he's still not an international quality manager, which yeah. is the point that everyone was making yeah. previously. And he does tend to sort of uh, try and explain himself a little too much at times at press conferences, which suggests that he still feels that he's not really taken that seriously. Okay. Uh, Sydney FC uh, continued their good form with a win on the road at uh, Perth. Um, 2-0, Nicky Carl and, and Bruno. I mean, did we see in that first goal um, from Nicky Carl a, a bit of a what could have been this season <laughs> for Sydney had he not been injured? What a difference he could have, could have made. I mean, I was going to say about Perez in the last game, he's on form. The Mariners are going to be tough to stop. And, and mm. Sydney's version of that was Nicky Carl, and he was the... The bloke to replace Steve Corica, who's been, you know, arguably City's most important player since the, you know, since they launched, um, and he's just not been fit. Um, you know, we were saying about that Steve O'Connor blog before saying that Sydney probably aren't that far off being, you know, at least in the finals this season. They've just kind of been edged out a few times and been a bit unlucky with um, injuries. You'd have to say that they still won't make finals football from here. I mean, they've got to win the last three games and other results have got to go for them. So it's yeah. still, still possible, but mm-hmm. um, a long way from... Uh, and from minus reality. Broski as well, of course, who of course. we'll be speaking to in Japan next week. He's oh. arrived yesterday, I think, uh, in uh, Tokyo. He said it was very cold. So we'll, uh, we'll have a chat to him next week. Moaning okay. already, is he? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's cold and the food's crap. <laughs> um, and he's time for a club on an island, apparently. Well, well into Phoenix... Uh, 1-0 winners against Newcastle Jets. Uh, we'll talk about the Jets again in last night's game, but the Jets' season's really grind into a halt, isn't it? Well, looking at Branco's uh, response after the game, you, you'd probably think so. Uh, uh, that was a bit of a, an ugly spat at the end of the game. Good crowd, though. What was that about? Do you know? Oh, look, it's the, it, Ricky seems to attract these uh, situations where they won't shake his hand. Uh, I think Cosy was in a similar situation a couple of years ago. Branco uh, had, it, had his say. Well, it's just... Uh, it's just, uh, you know, not shaking his hand, basically. Okay. Uh, big win for Melbourne victory against Gold Coast at Amy Park. I must say, how good does that pitch look at Amy Park? It looks oh, yeah. beautiful. I mean, it was hot down there. But, um, Almost as good as MK Don's. Um, <laughs> Danny Olsop, two good goals. Uh, so he seems to be getting back his match fitness. He hadn't played for a while when he was over in the States. So he seems to be getting stronger by the, uh, and by it, the day. And everyone will still go on about how rubbish he is, yeah, no matter how many goals he scores. Um, but it was, uh, it was a cracking uh, win for them. Very disappointing crowd there, though, 8,000. Uh, and as seems to be the way, then there's some issues off the pitch with the security and the Northern Terrace guys. So let's hope they can sort that out because, um, you know, Melbourne, gonna, it looks like they're going to qualify for the finals and we, we want full crowds down there. So um, And it is confusing. I mean, where is their home ground? Is it Etihad or, or yeah, I, I don't I, know. I mean, why last night's game was at Etihad? I've got no Just idea. Wait, yeah. That's hardly uh, one of their marquee fixtures. But anyway, last night, let's talk about that quickly. Victory, another 2-0 win uh, against the Jets. So Jets' season, really, as we said, seems to be coming to a halt. Uh, goals again from Pondoyak and who's it got the second? Not sure. <laughs> there was a lot on last night, wasn't yeah. there? <laughs> um, and Gold Coast drew 0-0 with Adelaide. Now this That's was a surprise, of... wasn't it? Really? You think there'd be at least one goal when those two played? Well, they drew 0-0 there earlier in the season as well, so it's that's the second 0-0 draw. Oh yeah, it? it's always going to happen. Um, it was marred a little bit near the end with an injury to John Curtis, which was a, a bit of a, and it resulted in a red card for Paul Reed, which I thought was a bit 
was a bit harsh because it was basically both players. I don't know if you, if, if you see it, both players had their feet up and their momentum took them smacking into each other. Um, and unfortunately, Curtis got the worst of it and sort of, you know, was knocked off his feet, whacked his head, and then Reed followed through and whacked him again <laughs> in the head. Um, so he was carried off in a neck brace, but uh, I think that was just a precaution and it, it was more just concussion. There was taught that he'd swallowed his tongue, but that was quickly uh, corrected that he hadn't. Uh, and then the referee waited five minutes to his off a pitch and sent Paul Reed off. Um, so I thought it was a bit bit harsh. I'm sure they'll probably appeal that because um, certainly Miran Blyberg, his first action was to go up to Paul Reed as he was sent off and shake his hand and, and look, say there was nothing. You know, it shouldn't have been a red card. Both players were going for it. But uh, but again, you know, just shows to me that you know you can have a full blooded tackle where someone gets injured and it not be a red card yeah. or a foul. Yeah. You know, it's mm, like, clearly. Um, but anyway, let's have a quick look at the table. Uh, Brisbane Raw, obviously, still at the summit. Played 28, 59 points, so two games left for them. The Mariners have three games left and 50 points. So as we talked about, technically they can still level with Brisbane Raw, but a much superior goal difference uh, of 11 goals. So Mariners have got to make up 11 goals over three games uh, to win the league, which is unlikely. So you'd probably say Brisbane should probably wrap it up this weekend. Um, 11 draws, too many draws. But what has happened over the last two or three weeks is the Mariners have really firmed in second place, Ado. Mm. Uh, Adelaide now 47 points played 28. So uh, the Mariners can really take a big step towards uh, securing second and uh, the chance of hosting the grand final, mm. which they've never done. And I think the six right now with Wellington and six, Melbourne victory in five, I think that's pretty much for me, that's going to be it. I think that those are the six for me. Um, I can't see Hart squeezing in, uh, not with 28 games and two points behind Wellington. So I think we've yeah, got the Phoenix six. Phoenix have got a game in hand still, so if they win that, they're five points clear yeah. in six. So Although two of those games are on the road, and we know what they're like on the road, but I just sense that they, they've got enough to, uh, to make the six. Okay. Yeah. All right, that's all for uh, part one. We'll be back after this break to talk about the main news on our website, au.442.com. The new issue of 442 is on sale, and it's our annual Top 100 Players in the World Special Edition. Who will be number one? We head to Japan to meet Socceroo rising star Matt Spiranovic and go one-on-one with Liverpool legend Ian Rush. There's also the never-before-told story of Man United's riotous 1999 tour down under without Sir Alex Ferguson to watch over them. We'll also visit seven European local derbies in one huge Sunday. If that wasn't enough, there's a UEFA Champions League sticker album and stickers free with every issue. On sale now at newsagents or on the iPad via the App Store. The latest on the world game. This is 442 Insider. Hello and welcome back to this week's 442 Insider podcast. We're going to spend the next uh, 10 or 15 minutes looking at some of the main news stories of this week, most of which have uh, passed through the hands of our guest this week, Mr. Aidan Ormond. Uh, first one, Aido, you were hot on the heels this week with... Um, News that Branko Kalina, uh, he's, he's playing it down, but there's a link there between uh, the Jets looking at potentially bringing over Kevin Phillips. Yeah, look, we, we spoke to him the other day. We, we knew that um, there was uh, something to the story. He, he obviously played down because he always plays things down in, in the transfer market. So um, he said that there had been a, a bit of a discussion and the club had uh, basically said that they don't want to let him go. But um, 37, great striker. I mean, I'm a Sunderland fan, so I remember him from... Ten years ago with Reedy's uh, Sunland, uh, great player. Is he the solution? Well, you know, I think he'd probably 
pick for any Jeffers ahead of uh, a 37-year-old striker, but there's no doubt about it that he's a great player. Yeah, and, uh, still, and he's still figuring he's, he's for still, Birmingham. He's exactly. still on the bench regularly and came on and scored, I think, uh, in the FA Cup. From I guess the, the question is, if, if we start in October, you know, will he be you know, willing to wait that long? Yeah, but, uh, yeah no, there is a link. Um, but uh, uh, And there is talk that he wants to play. Obviously, it's 37. You want to play regularly. You don't want to be sitting on a bench. Um, we shall see. Okay. So what about um, if they had you know, Bridges, Phillips... Jeffers up front, like yeah. old England could have been strike force. Indeed. Uh, well, I mean, what's the news with Fallon Jeffers? I mean, you, you know the guys up at Newcastle. I mean, he, he's, his guest didn't has come to an end now, right? Yeah, he came to an end. I think uh, he got injured, so he didn't play 10. I think he played 9, uh, from memory. Um, so, yeah, I believe that he was really keen to stay. Um, he does have family in Sydney, or through his wife. Um, he just really wanted to, to stay Back in England now, I believe. Right. Um, obviously, with the transfer window just closed, as we all know. Um, but does that apply to him if he's a free agent? I'm not sure. Not, I'm, I'm not sure what the situation is. Only, the transfer window only applies to contracted players. If you're a yeah. free agent, like Lucas, yeah. when Lucas Neal let the transfer window shut, but being a free agent, yeah. he could then continue negotiating. I think the key, the key was the money situation, and I think that's going to be the situation with, with Phillips as well. Um, I think they just, he just wanted too much money and Newcastle weren't willing to pay it. Okay. Uh, All right. Um, someone that might be looking at coming back uh, is Danny Invincible, who uh, has ended a, he's ended a long stint with Kilmarnock. Uh, he's left by mutual consent. Spent seven years there since joining them from uh, Swindon Town. Uh, Ados, someone that you know as well? Yeah, he used, well, yeah. used to play, I think, at Marconi here. Uh, I, I understand he's uh, pronounced Invincible. Um, that, that's, how, that's how he used to always tell us I to prefer, pronounce it. I think Invincible. Yeah, it's a great name, isn't it? This is a player who was actually uh, picked by Pim Verbeek in one train on squad, but didn't make it um, due to an injury. So um, he's somebody who's flown under the radar for years. I mean, how old is he? No. He, say he, he, if he's been overseas for He's been overseas for about years. seven to ten years, so he'd be around 30. Yeah. yeah. Um, he's just one of a, ma- a number of players in that sort of second tier who you don't really know too much about. Solid player, can probably play A-League, I'd say. Yeah. Um, and he's had a good career in Scotland. So somebody who's seen him play regularly in Scotland, I'd like to see, you know, ask how he's played. I haven't seen him play in nearly a decade. OK. Uh, Matty Mackay obviously touched down back in Brisbane this week from, a, from his breakthrough Asian Cup campaign. Uh, obviously, he's just signed a new deal, three-year deal, I think it was, with, uh, with Brisbane. Um, which he's very happy with, but obviously he's probably a, you know, a realist and aware that that sort of doesn't really mean a lot these days. And if uh, if a club came in with a big offer for Brisbane, they'd, they'd certainly look at it. Uh, I guess you know, no A League club is, is on a, a really sure financial footing. Um, so given he's just signed a new three-year deal, that would guarantee them a pretty hefty transfer fee by mm. A League standards, at least. So um, I mean, what do we think? Trev, do you, do you see him as being a prior, you know, that this has really put him on the radar as far as Asian clubs are concerned? Yeah, I mean, you know, you think about the amount of scouts and, you know, even coaches and managers that are casually watching the Asian Cup because they, they want to. Um, it would be a, a massive surprise if um, he didn't get a move. You know, I'm not, I'm not being funny. For you though, question for you, though. Would overseas coaches or coaches of other teams at the Asian Cup pay the... Would, would Matt McKay have appeared as high-profile to them in that Socceroos team or was it us championing it because he was a local boy I, would, would, would the Japanese coach have looked at the Socceroos and gone he's just a, you know around Harry Kuehl and Tim Cahill and Lucas Neal he's the guy 
you know, to- I'd argue probably totally not. Totally agree. Totally agree. I think it's up to the agents to say, okay, look, this guy is playing in the A-League. Yeah. He's only 28. You're going to get the three best years out of his career. Uh, let's talk rather than him standing out. I mean, he had a good tournament, but he doesn't stand out when you look at it from a different country's eyes. I think. Yeah. But, I mean, that'll make him more appealing because they'll go, well, you know, this guy's still playing in the A-League, so he's, he's probably the most available about of, of anyone that's yeah. going to play well. And the K-League, I mean, look how many players are joining the K-League right now as we speak. Ian yeah. Fife, Bass Vandenbreek, Sasha's already Luke there. Devere. Luke Devere. Okay. Um, well, he's obviously going to be here for the rest of this season, which is obviously good news for Brisbane. Um, and I guess uh, all parties will review the situation uh, at the end of the season. Um, another player very close to you, Ado, Big Lubo. Um, rejected an offer from FC Basel uh, and is now believed to be heading over to... Um, to Asia for trials, is that right? Or looking for a club in Asia? Yeah, look, uh, he's got offers apparently from um, some of the big leagues in Asia. So we're talking about J-League and K-League. He's got some offers from Russia as well and Scandinavia. So he's currently just bobbing around Europe at the moment, trialing. And, right, and, and writing pieces for the raw. I mean, he's just, uh, you know, he's a media mogul. He's brilliant. <laughs> Not sure I'd call him a media mogul. He la- he, media he, madman? Media something. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, he's enjoying it over there, um, and uh, he's keeping us uh, abreast of what's happening. Okay. Uh, Fury, rumours, I mean, there was a story on the SBS website yesterday that Fury were going to be uh, dead by Tuesday for the next FFA board meeting, but um, it doesn't appear to be the case, and the, the, the January 31st deadline has, has come and gone. Um, they're still short. They've launched their community model, uh, looking for $30,000 investors and $3,000 investors uh, to raise the money. Um, Ado, have you got any insight on this? My understanding is that because of the situation in Queensland with the floods and now also a cyclone, um, that uh, there's going to be a little bit of a leeway time. Originally it was January 31. My understanding is that they're going to get another couple of weeks. Can't can't we just sneak Fury's invoices in under for the rebuilding you know, <laughs> we're going to be spending five billion up there or whatever can we not just squeeze the football club as part of the rebuilding process <laughs> and it's a snip when <laughs> you consider what three it, million four million a year you yeah. know. I mean it's good for the community it's community building yeah I mean for, for yeah. the community to have a team that they can go and watch you know to set their minds away from that rebuilding it would be great wouldn't it yeah. and it's a difficult time to, to go out to people and to be asking them to put their yeah. you know to, to pay true. for money to get a club together when they're like well hang on I need to sort out you know my personal yeah. problems yeah so look, it could be around about Valentine's Day, so it could be a Valentine's Day massacre. Oh, um, but also, <laughs> it could be hell hath no fury. <laughs> okay. Um, Miron, Bleiberg, always never one to take a backward step when it comes to uh, making his opinions known. And the press conference after the uh, Melbourne game, he uh, labelled victory a dirty side, which has caused much sort of debate this week. Are they a dirty side? Aren't they a dirty side? You know, does Kevin Muscat and Ernie Merrick, uh, you know, has Ernie Merrick, um, you know, engendered a, a sort of culture of, you know, aggressive play, overly aggressive play? I mean, lads, what do you think? I personally, I think, I think it's gone a little bit over the top. You know, I, I think again, you know, it is a physical contest. You know, I don't want football to turn into basketball. You know, which is just a series of successive. Offensive and defensive plays, you know, drawing it, fouls. It's a physical <laughs> contest, and I, and I think the beauty about players like Lionel Messi is they transcend that. You know, they deal with the physicality of football and then still have the ability to play, which is what makes great players great. 
You know, there are many sort of like fancy, you know, nice players, comfortable players that can't do that. Um, lads, where, where do you stand on it? Victory not a dirty club. They're very committed, you know, and I think every single player is. But, it's, yeah, it's great seeing that. And Victory fans must love seeing it. And I, I enjoy watching it. So, no, d- dirty is completely the wrong word. And, and that's just piggybacking off the musket stuff, you know. And that's a separate issue because that tackle was hideous. But I don't think the whole team But it's, all, I, I it's also a bit revisionist as well, you know, because let's remember back to season two. You know, when uh, you know, Melbourne were playing some of the best football that we've seen in the competition. Yeah, I just think it's, it's just a bit odd that after six seasons, suddenly they're a dirty team. You know, mm. it, it doesn't wash with me because if they were a dirty team under Merrick, they would have been labelled that five, six years ago. It's the first time they've really been called dirty and it's just straight after the musket thing. So, no, I, I disagree. Yeah, and I, you know, I think like, a fair bit was made about the, you know, the tackle that, that Vandenbrink got injured in. I, I, I didn't really see an awful lot wrong with that. He, he got the ball and... You know, sometimes, as I said, you know, players will get injured without necessarily being fouled. You know, and um, it's in the middle of the park as well. I mean, this is where the, the tackles really fly in. I just don't, I just don't see. Bredman is a really hard man, and, and Muskie's a hard man, but dirty, no. Okay, uh, Ado, you just uh, one of your many soirees out and about around the world of football. Uh, you spent is it a week over in London? Five days. Five days yeah, over with the. Uh, the Aussie and Kiwi entrance to the Nike initiative, the chance. Mm. Um, now we talked about this last week. You know, a great performance with, with all four of them getting into the top 32 and then Tom Rowich um, actually making the, the final eight. So, mate, talk us through it. Yeah. Look, uh, it was just a, an amazing week. Um, they got to train like professionals. They got to hang out with people like... Where was it all taking place? Uh, The training centre was at The Hive, which is Barnet FC's, and it's a very, very good training centre. That's where they trained for the first two days to whittle 100 down to 32. They then played the last day at MK Don Stadium, which is a fantastic stadium. Dermot Gallagher was the referee. (laughs) Um, So what was the the sort of... uh, For that, when they were whittling it down from the 100 to the 32, what was the process? was, Was it a series of exercises that they had to do that were measured and yeah I mean it was it was all of that it was spark testing um, which is essentially like beep testing Um, it was really just four sessions in two days one in the morning one in the afternoon for two days they were basically looking for technical ability I think um, the first session was shooting drills. You'll see it in the magazine soon. Shooting drills. The second uh, session in the afternoon was 8v8, which was watched by Wenger and Hiddink. Yeah. I Imagine saw like that. Van der and spoke to yeah. them. And Van der Vaart like and, uh, and Essien and uh, um, then uh, Giovan Bronkhorst spoke to them privately. They stayed at Softball House, which has been used by Arsenal as a base. Um, so four sessions in two days to, to whittle down 100 to 32, and then those 32 were split into two squads for a game of three 25-minute halves at MK Dons on the Saturday morning. From that point on, the coaches decided the eight, and on that night they uh, announced seven names, France, Belgium, South Korea, England, South Africa. The final names have come out. That's it. And Tom Rogic. I was the only journalist from Is Australia. Rogic like, or Rowett? Uh, Rogic. 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 Yeah. I was the only journalist in the room because we were separate to the players' dinner. Hugh Jennings, who is the Nike Academy director, uh, you know, read the names out. The last name to come out, and I thought we'd missed out. The last name to come out was our boy, and I was the only one in the room who goes, "Come on!" <laughs> <laughs> Everyone else was like, "Oh God, we missed out." 
Um, but the, the real story here is that Australia and New Zealand got four players, all four players, in the final 32. And what, what was the standard like? What was <laughs> it was really good. Yeah. It was quick. Um, it was really technical. And, and the, the, the amazing thing for us was that our goalkeeper was on one leg, basically, and he made it because he was so good. Nico Matic. Um, 50%. Who does he play for? Central Coast Mariners. He's a youth team keeper. Right, okay. Unsigned keeper, 18, built like a brick. Shit ass. Yeah, <laughs> we like to swim. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and he's the interesting Tom Rogic. No sea bombs. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, Rogic, Tom Rogic, uh, about three weeks before the chance, got injured. He had a back injury and he nursed himself through those three days and he, he was very lucky because he was saying later that if it was a longer trial a relatively short trial mm. if it was a longer trial he would have been struggling so what happens now so, so the, the, the academy is based at Loughborough University yeah. we talked about this last week it's one of the main sort of sports science well the main sports mm. science university in the UK so when do they go in they, uh, Tom goes around about July the 1st right. it starts and in pre-season 12 months. it's 12 oh. months there's 8 of them uh, and I believe 22 are already there from England. So there's the eight from around the world, including two from England, and the 22 already there. And what happens? So they, so they, they do they play in a league? Yeah. No, they they play a, a series of games against EPL reserve teams. Yeah. Not uh, other academies. Um, they obviously train like professionals. It's a fantastic environment. I mean, Loughborough University is generally regarded as a very, very good place. I went to Birmingham. They're our arch rivals. <laughs> we, we lost to them 1-0 in extra time in the, the, the British University Championship oh, okay. final in 1988. So you still yeah. hold a grudge? Gutted. Yeah. Gutted. <laughs> well, I'll let them know that. Yeah, um, But, yeah, no, Tom goes in, in, um, in pre-season. Um, and I spoke to him yesterday. Uh, he's going to have an ultrasound on his back this week. He wants to get this back injury sorted out. Then he's going to assess you know, who he trains with in the lead-up. He wants to be fit and ready to go. He doesn't want to get there and be ready to do a pre-season. Yeah. He wants to be fit, ready to go. Uh, it was an extraordinary result to get four in the final 32. When and you what consider- happens at the end of that year? That's a good question. Um, I, I think... Uh, you know, they'll, they'll obviously be under the, the eye of a lot of EPL and other clubs yeah. as well. So, so it's basically a 12-month-long shop window for yeah, them, really. it's a shop yeah. window. It's a chance to play against EPL teams. So they'll be, Tom is a, one of the futsal roos. He plays in the Australian futsal team. He's now got a chance to play against EPL players and reserve really? teams across the country in, in the middle of winter. And it was freezing cold. They'd just come from Australian summer as well. So proud of the boys. Fantastic. They, they were brilliant. Well, congratulations to Tom especially and the uh, other three lads on a great yeah. performance making. Can I just say Alan Bloomgart, Nico Maddich and Thomas Doyle from New Zealand. Great Brilliant. guys. Well done, lads. Ado, top quality coverage as ever coming from there. The photo galleries every day were, uh, were keeping us in touch with what was going on. And we'll uh, obviously follow Tom's progress when he, when he gets there. Yeah. All right, that's it for part two. We'll be back in section three to talk about transfer deadline day madness. And what does it mean for the Premier League? Visit Football Emporium on www.footballemporium.biz to see the largest selection of football merchandise and memorabilia in Australia. A real football shopping experience. Or why not pop in and visit them directly at 139 Victoria Road, Dremoyne. Or simply call them on 1300 4 Goals to find out what's new in the football world. Back to 442 Insider. Hello, welcome back to this week's 442 Insider Podcast. Now, you must, if you hadn't followed the, uh, the madness of the transfer deadline, uh, you must have been living under a rock because 
Somewhere in the region of £200 million changed hands in January, uh, which is quite extraordinary. Just when you think that the spending has calmed down again and, and things are, have got to a little bit more realistic. Uh, Chelsea go and blow £75 million on two players. Let's, let's just talk about the, the, main, the, the main sequence of events. Chelsea obviously signed Fernando Torres. Um, he requested a transfer... Uh, he went to Chelsea for $80 million. Uh, Liverpool then went and spent that on Suarez from uh, Ajax and astonishingly Andy Carroll for £35 million, which equates to about $56 million. A uh, guy that's probably played six months in the Premier League has got one cap for England. Uh, Man City continued their spending by bringing uh, Aidan Dzeko uh, from Wolfsburg. Uh, for $43 million, David Luiz uh, went to Chelsea from Benfica for $34 million. Uh, my boys Villa splashed the cash on Darren Bent, uh, which now looks like a snip at $18 million. Don't pounds. talk to me about that. Um, <laughs> yeah, hey, that was a Sunderland fan. And uh, Adebayor went to Real Madrid on loan. So, um, so all change at the top. And wouldn't you know it, Chelsea play Liverpool on Sunday at Stamford Bridge. Had to be, didn't it? Um, two good signings from, from Chelsea. They needed to. They're still ten points adrift of Man U, um, which you'd have to feel um, is going to be too much for this season. Um, but there's talk coming out today that Chelsea are going to carry on spending in the summer. So buckling on that, you carry know, on spending. Yeah, um, buckling on that idea that they were going to, you know, concentrate on youth, and you know that was a long-term plan, wasn't it, for the Abraham yeah. thing? But they've had to sort of go back on that a little bit. Um, I mean. You, we know enough about Torres already, but I understand that David Luiz is a really, really good player, really versatile as well. Um, you know, can play at centre back alongside John Terry, or or either sort of full backs, or perhaps in midfield too. So expensive, bit, bit but of a damning sort of uh, you know indirect indictment on Terry when uh, Ancelotti said about the Luiz transfer was that now we'll be able to play from the back a little bit more. <laughs> so I was like, Ado <laughs> um, you know, Torres, um, his conduct. Throughout this, what have you made of it? Well, I, th- I think first, first thing I want to say is that Suarez is a fantastic signing, and that's been forgotten a lot in the mm. whole Torres thing. If you saw him at the World Cup, what a player! Mm. And for the money that they spent on him, I think that is the absolute best buy of the, mm. of the Scored year. Scored this morning, didn't he? Scored on David this morning. What yeah. a player he's going to yeah. be! As for Torres, well, you know, he, he wants to win things, and he said in, on Chelsea FC's TV show when he when he signed that uh, he's, I mean, he wants to join a club that wins things. I mean, I thought. You know, I mean, yeah. For all the, um, you know, the, the big deal he made about being a Liverpool supporter when he went there and affinity with the club, I thought he handled himself appallingly in this. You know, he didn't need to say what he said. You know, he could have just said, you know, I'm happy to join Chelsea. You know, they're another big club. I've come from one big club to another. You know, yeah. and I'm playing in the Champions League again. Which, you know, he didn't have to say what he said, and I think he's pretty much burnt any bridges he had with <laughs> Liverpool fans. Um, and I just, yeah, I've lost a little bit of respect for him, to be honest, because I just think, you know, he could have dealt with that so much better. And I'm, I'm, I don't know whether he, he's probably been a little bit jaded with the situation up there and sort of said something a little bit, you know. To them, but I, don't well, I think also it doesn't do cost anything. I just it's disrespectful to the to the fans that have supported him. You know, when when let's be honest, his performances this season have been awful. Mm. His body language has been awful. Um, you know, yet the supporters have stuck by him, and I just thought it was very disrespectful to Liverpool. Mean, yeah. Particularly being a Liverpool fan himself, I mean, that's what he says, doesn't he? Allegedly, yeah. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I agree. The, the comment um, 
was out of line. I think it got a little bit lost. In uh, it's never easy when he, you know, he's, he's doing interviews in his second language, yeah. but I think he's, you know, he's been badly advised if that was the case. Yeah. You know. uh, okay, let's talk about Andy Carroll. You know, um, <laughs> had a good season last year in the championship. Um, you know, he's far from the finished article on the pitch and also very far from the finished article off the pitch. He's been living with Kevin Nolan. <laughs> Not a good idea. Parole, part of his uh, bail, I think, uh, condition. Uh, obviously, that's not going to happen. I'm sure Kevin Nolan's missus is now happy to get a house back. Um, I mean, is it potentially a, a, you know, good for him to get out of Newcastle? Yeah, yeah. I mean, a, a clean break. I mean, he, he's only going to Liverpool, but I mean, if he's got any kind of sense, he must realise this is my big big break you know I've got this massive tag a massive fan base and you know this is my chance to, to you know to kick on at a big team and you know secure a place in the England team so if any sense he'll he'll buckle down now and sort of turn turn his back on you know whatever he was doing off the pitch before and also in Dalgleish you know you'd hope that he's in the perfect the perfect environment to to be to, to develop as a player on the pitch as a yeah. centre forward you're not going to find many better people to uh to learn from than Dalgleish. Yeah, yeah. Pardew or Dalgleish, you know, <laughs> who do you yeah. pick? Well, I think it's also it was very funny when I heard the radio report saying that he won't be playing for the next few weeks because he has a thigh injury after falling off a bar stool. I mean, yeah, you exactly. know, it's, in a casino at what five you, in the morning. You know, what do you say to things like yeah, that? Yeah, and apparently you know? I, I was hearing that it's, it's not as straightforward as that because Newcastle had actually just sent him to Scandinavia, I think, for consultancy on that. So it's actually quite a serious injury, so... But yeah, he's uh, he's certainly got a few uh, a few demons off the pitch, but I'm sure Stephen Gerrard will be able to uh, work with him on that. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, Jekyll to Man City. I mean, Man City are just continuing their spending. Um, still don't necessarily seem to be able to get it right. Um, Adebayor's obviously gone out on loan. They've just got too many forwards there. I mean, Trev, they're, you know, they're, they're still there or thereabouts in the title race. But um, Yeah, I went away and, and drew at Birmingham right down the bottom. Could have done with Lost at Villa. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. The, the, they they still feel just that little bit off, don't they? You know, I think they'll get that Champions League place though, which I think's you know. So who do you think will miss out? Tottenham. Right. Tottenham, who are currently out of it, you know, by about three points. They're closest. Tottenham closest to Chelsea. You'd have to feel the new signings that Chelsea will go on. You know, Man you, you have a bit of daylight. So do Arsenal. So and City would do enough. So yeah, I think Tottenham. Tottenham miss out, which would be right. a terrible two, team. Two teams that didn't strengthen in the window, Man United and Arsenal. Um, Arsenal, given that you know, Wenger was roundly sort of, you know, criticised for not spotting their deficiencies during the August window, <laughs> you know, hasn't then gone and bought a keeper or a centre defender. I know, do you think that's going to cost them in the long run? Oh, it's hard to say. I mean, only time will tell. It's interesting with Wenger and Ferguson how they won't get pushed around by inflated market prices. I mean, they'll look at the other clubs and go, well, look at the money they've paid for him, him and him. Would we have done the same? They're not like they're that. They're too good, so. aren't they, those yeah. two, really? Yeah. And, in, you know, and you'd say that in Hernandez, if we're talking about strikers, pound for pound, they've probably got the best deal of the season. Yeah. You know I mean, I think, I think Hernandez and, and Suarez... They're going to. They're, Hernandez has already proved himself. Suarez is going to prove himself as well. Good okay. coaching by um, Fergie midweek because um, when they played Blackpool away, it was taking off Rooney and putting on Hernandez. That was, you know, 
completely turned the game from being 2-0 down to win 3-2. You just assume that Hernandez would start. He didn't. He started Rooney. Rooney scores in 45 seconds. Exactly, yeah. And that's <laughs> why he's the, <laughs> why he's the best manager minutes, ever. I was two minutes late getting into the office, <laughs> turned on the TV in the office, and we were already 1-0 down. I, like, I oh, think I was following God. your Twitter feed on that. <laughs> Here one. we go. Quite funny. I can't believe it. Um, but Man United obviously still unbeaten. Can they do it? 14 games to go, I think it is. No. Can they match Arsenal's... Uh, it's a less season imp- of the Invincibles. It's already less impressive than the Arsenal, even if they do it, because the, they've, you know, the Villa game. You know, they should have lost that one. Shouldn't is they? that less impressive though? Given, given that, yeah, given be- that plenty of people were tipping Man United to drop out of the top four this season, because they, they lost Ronaldo. You know, they didn't replace him. They, you know, they didn't have. It's it's, it's less impressive because Arsenal never looked like losing. And also, they, Arsenal they, played a brand of football that was just out of this world. Whereas Man United, I don't think their brand is quite the same, yeah. is it? I think they'll win the title, Man U. And I, I, I think that Fergie needs to take a massive, massive slice of credit if they do. You know, to, to lose Tevez and Ronaldo, everyone yeah. you know, wrote them off completely. And you know, if, if they manage to close out the title from here, that'll be one of his best successes, I reckon. I'm, no, tipping, I'm tipping Chelsea. I think Torres will do really? it. Really? Yeah, yeah. They're 10 points off Man U, though. I think Torres will do it for them. Well, I mean, one, one thing's for sure that, that this merry-go-round has certainly breathed a, a load of life back into the championship rates and has created a lot more uh, tension and uh, excitement, so we look forward to it. And, and again, as we said, Stamford Bridge Sunday, Fernando Torres possibly to start against uh, his old club, Liverpool. I think he's $4.50 to be the first goal scorer. I mean, who's not going to be watching that game? You've got an interesting theory, though, haven't you, on the scheduling from Sky? Well, yeah, because I, I sort of wondered whether, you know, a nifty little people at, at Sky, who, who, let's be honest, are, are known for, man, man, what should we say, sort of manicuring the fixture list around sort of key times, did they schedule Chelsea-Liverpool uh, for the, or one of the big games between the big four? Um, or the traditional big four, to be the weekend after the transfer window. Sort of with a hunch that some transfers might come in and out. Whether that, well, yeah, It probably worked out a dream for them with Torres moving, but you'd probably raise that Liverpool and Chelsea would look to strengthen in the, the January window, so maybe they've, uh, they've manufactured this. But who knows? Who knows? Anyway, that's all for the Premier League. We'll be back uh, for the final part of this week's podcast after this break to talk about A-League Round 26 preview. So join us after the break. The new issue of 442 is on sale, and it's our annual Top 100 Players in the World Special Edition. Who will be number one? We head to Japan to meet Socceroo rising star Matt Spiranovic and go one-on-one with Liverpool legend Ian Rush. There's also the never-before-told story of Man United's riotous 1999 tour down under without Sir Alex Ferguson to watch over them. We'll also visit seven European local derbies in one huge Sunday. If that wasn't enough, there's a UEFA Champions League sticker album and stickers free with every issue. On sale now at newsagents or on the iPad via the App Store. The latest on the world game. This is 442 Insider. Hello, welcome to the final part of this week's 442 Insider podcast. We're going to turn our attention back to the A-League now and preview this weekend and next week's midweek games. Uh, Kicks off uh, tomorrow night with uh, Melbourne Heart entertaining Central Coast Mariners. As we talked about, the Mariners, to have any chance, probably need a 5 or 6 nil win. Uh, will we see them caution to the wind and go for it, or will they just get the three points? And is it about securing second for them or rather than going for first? 
Oh, I think I think for sure it's going for second. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think you can't go to Melbourne Heart and expect it to put five or six past them. Although they've done very well at that stadium this year. Um, this will be an absolutely cracking game. Amy Park, of course. I'm expecting uh, a really good crowd. Um, actually, we spoke to Melbourne Heart this week. How about they really focused on getting these uh, fans back in? They've only got about 5,500 hardcore. So looking forward to this one. This is probably, for me, the game of the weekend. Okay. Mm. Uh, sporting bet, I've got it. Uh, Melbourne Heart, three bucks. Central Coast Manors, two dollars forty-five, and the draw, three dollars twenty-five. Okay, the draw, I think. Yeah. Um, Saturday, I'd say the Manors are pretty good value there, two dollars forty-five. Have a look at that. Um, Saturday, Adelaide host Wellington Phoenix. Um, we talked about, you know, Phoenix uh, are in the finals berth at the moment um, with a game in hand. Need to try and, um, you know, solidify that spot. Perennial. Poor travellers uh, going to Particularly Adelaide. Particularly in Adelaide. Yeah, Adelaide uh, strong at home um, off the back of a, a, a big win uh, last time they were at home. Um, Trev, mm-hmm. how do you see this one going? Yeah, Adelaide. Um, it looks like Wellington, and we've seen them do it in previous seasons, will do just enough at home to make the finals. Yeah. But when it comes to away at home, particularly going somewhere like um, Adelaide, you, you find it hard to back them, wouldn't you? Okay, I mean, the Sporting Bet have got it. Adelaide strong favourites, as you'd expect. Dollar forty-seven. Wellington two dollars forty-five, and the draw seven bucks. You see that they've got Wellington as likely away winners as Central Coast Mariners. Now I'd say that that's uh, yeah. nice. draw seven. That's really long odds as well, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, the obviously the, the new North Queensland Fury Brisbane Raw game, as we uh, communicated yesterday, has been called off for obvious reasons with the as they assess the, uh, the damage in the wake of um, the uh, tropical cyclone up there. Uh, Sunday sees Newcastle Jets host Sydney FC. Um, Jets, nothing more than a win will do for them now. Any hope of, of sneaking into the final spot, they need to win, get back to winning ways quickly. Sydney, Trev, mathematically possible, but very unlikely. Yeah, Playing could, for pride now. It could be a season-ender for either side, couldn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I imagine there might well be one of those really irritating draws for both teams, and then they're both out of a chance of, of making the finals. I don't know. Do you see, guys, we see two teams playing with fear of losing, or do we see two teams throwing caution to the wind, going, we need to win? I think Sydney's, yeah, both sides need to win. I think Sydney are going to continue what they've been doing the last month or so, which is play pretty attractive football. Um, and the Jets, well, they've, they're missing um, their fill in right back. Um, uh, who got sent off on the weekend uh, on midweek? It's going all pear shaped for them. Too many injuries. Lubo's gone. They've la- they're lacking leadership at the back. Um, I think I agree with Trev. I think it'll be a draw. Okay. Uh, weekend's fixtures are rounded out by Perth Glory hosting Gold Coast United over in Perth. Um, it's not proving as difficult a place to go as it has done in previous yeah. seasons and. You sort of get the feeling that everybody at Perth Glory just wants the season to end there. Yeah, I mean, well done, yeah. 20 Perth fans who go to that game on, on Sunday because I'd imagine it'd be a bit of a tough slog to, you know, a Gold Coast team that will, will keep it tight and look to nick a goal to win against a Perth side that's got nothing to play for. And Ado, a quick, uh, quick tip of our hat to Jamie Harnwell, who's uh, announced his retirement this yeah. week, who's been a yeah. fantastic servant of the game over there. Um, I mean, it all started so promisingly for Perth. You know, a very, very strong squad. Mm. You know, they started the season really well. I mean, where, I mean, where's it gone wrong there? You know, is it, can we pinpoint anything? <sighs> Look, you know, it's. 
I think it's the coaching. I really just don't think Mitchell and Ferguson were the right people. I think they need to cut free from that. I think they get, need to get a really good manager in, like a proper European manager, like Rennie Coolen or Franz Stracker. I think they need to start again. We've said this so many times. Well, if Fury uh, do fold in the next couple of weeks, Stracker will be looking for a job. And yeah, I asked him this question, and he definitely, when I went up there a few months ago, he definitely intimated that he'd like to stay in this country. So that would be very interesting. And he could be that almost burnt Stanger type of figure over in Perth. Okay, weekend fixtures uh, coming thick and fast. Sydney FC hosts Wellington. So Wellington have got uh, you know two fixtures on the road. Um, again, by that stage, Sydney might have nothing to play for and Wellington pl- plenty to play for still. Um, very different last time we saw these two teams meeting at yeah. Sydney when they were playing for a spot in the grand final. That's year. right. Yeah, and the, the hand of pain, I think, from memory, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. But I think Sydney have got plenty to play for, actually. It's, it's the Asian Champions League in only three weeks from that day, uh, roughly. So lots to play for. Demi Petratos now with Broski gone. Um, really would be looking to cement his place in the forward line with the Asian Champions League coming up very soon. And do we see Sydney, Trev, going into the market for a striker for the Asian Champions League? You'd have thought so. Yeah, well, the, the, the problem is, and you could argue that, that Brosk was one of the global bargains of the transfer window, wasn't he? In the fact that <laughs> they got him for you know 400 grand Aussie, and he's a 27-year-old international um, who's done well in the A-League. So... Th- when you look at that figure, and I know Sydney are seeking compensation, I don't know if, if you know the latest on this, Ado, but that's not a lot of money to go and replace someone like Brosk, is it? No. So they're really mm. going to they're gonna struggle there. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Gold Coast on Wednesday night also hosts the Mariners. Now, this was a rescheduled fixture that was uh, abandoned. Um, I think it was just before kick-off on it, the, the rain up there on the Gold Coast. So, I mean, the pitch, has to be said last night, is just awful. I don't know, you know, I've, I've still not heard an explanation as to why it's so bad. You know, there hasn't been a game of rugby league on it for for months, you know, and I just don't understand, I mean, we were talking about it on Twitter last night, is, you know, what, we know that the deal that they get there isn't great, you know, it's been held up by, by Clive Palmer as one of the issues they've got. And if I, if I was being asked, like, that, that is the primary thing that you are renting from them, is a pitch, and it is so below standard, Mm. and below par that I, I wouldn't be paying them anything for that um, it's certainly not conducive to, to, to good football and, and you, you could even say like contributed towards Curtis's injury last night because you know, he certainly slipped as he was going into the tackle which, uh, which made him off balance and, and ended up with a concussion uh, but anyway on the pitch uh, this should be a, a, a good tussle you'd have thought by that point you know we're getting down to probably two games left mm. um, how do you see it going on the pitch um yeah, it's always difficult to to sort of um, pick between these two. I mean, the, the Mariners have got some great away results, as, as highlighted by the Adelaide um, the Adelaide score at the weekend. I, I think I'm just gonna just gonna sit on the fence and go for a draw. I was gonna say Gold Coast then, but I think I'll go draw. All right, and Ado rounding out the uh, fixtures for next week. Newcastle host Perth Glory. Uh, may well be by that point neither of them have got anything to play for that could be the the biggest rubbish game of the season could be that one (laughs) so tune in everybody get down there now alright well uh, I mean you'd have to say on a Thursday night as well yeah there's probably a fair few players on both sides playing for a a gig next season you would think so um, if nothing else there's uh, there's something to play for there you think there's always something to play for in the A-League 
But anyway, that's it for this week. Ado, thanks for dropping in. As always, great, um, great update on the Nike Chance Initiative. Thanks for that. And uh, again, congratulations to Tom on securing that spot. Trev, as always, mate. Thank Cheers. you very much. And uh, Simon, our producer, thanks a lot, mate. Hang on. Oh, oh. one more thing. The new issue. issue. The new issue. New issue. How can we forget? Yes. It's a very, very special issue. Not only is it uh, the top 100 players... But we've also done a very nifty thing for Adidas who have launched their uh, Adi Zero boot, which is the lightest boot ever. And it weighs 330 grams. And we have tweaked it so that the magazine weighs exactly the same as a pair of these boots. So the boots are as fast as Lionel Messi and as light as our magazine. Yeah. So, so we're, we're not like removed 20 pages or anything. It's, no, no, it's, it's, you get, it's, you're getting all the... You know, you get, you're still getting everything. But Trev, what else is in there? Give well, a quick... Uh, Walk it's always one of the biggest issues of the year. Um, 100 best players in the world. Um, already been getting messages. Started people, already on the website. People, yeah. Who the hell came up with this people, list? What idiots <laughs> written this? God, probably someone who's been watching these players every single week for the last 10 years. Um, yeah, but that's kind of the beauty of this list is that. You know, if you disagree with it or, you know, you massively agree with it, like, congratulations, you're a football fan, because that's what it's about, isn't it? That's the, the lifeblood of it, is, is arguing about it. Um, another nod to um, a Manchester United story that we've got. This is a classic story. <laughs> which is, yeah, it's, um, we've basically spoken to sort of York and Cole and Nicky, but the man you play from that treble winning uh, 99 team who, uh, who came out to Australia and Alex Ferguson couldn't make the trip. Um, he was getting knighted. He was getting knighted, yeah. That and Bozza had just joined as well. He'd just gone to Man U and one of his first trips was coming to Australia to play against the Socceroos, which was probably a little bit strange. Um, and yeah, look, they just cut loose. And when the, the stories about him and Yorkie was so hungry. I know, you remember that. Yeah, 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 it was, uh, yeah. It was good, also, obviously, the tour when Simon Colosimo got badly injured in that yeah. game. And, he, and we speak to Simon as well about it, so... Yeah. Uh, and um, elsewhere, like we... Spiranovic um, interview in Japan. Yeah, 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 I mean, just, you know... We've been talking about Spanish for a while, haven't we? For a, you know, a couple of years now. That's actually something we didn't discuss before. How he never played a single minute of the yeah. Uh, tournament. Yeah, and you know he's someone that we've, we're really hoping that he's going to come in and, and fill that void. He's had injury problems and stuff. Anyway, we're we're speaking to him um, over in Japan. Uh, attend seven European derbies in a day. The ultimate European derby day. So yeah, plenty in plenty. there. And on Out. the iPad, we've got video interviews with Bozza. Bozza, got, Iniesta um, videos. Iniesta videos. Uh, uh, photo galleries of Schwarzer. David Drillich career in pictures. Yep. It's all kicking off. Um, so, news agents for the magazine. Oh, and it comes with a free official Panini sticker book, Champions League sticker book. And stickers. And stickers. So and how much a, does the magazine weigh? Oh, What is the actual? 330 grams. 330 grams, yeah. yeah. So there you go. Uh, so yeah, all good news agents or uh, iTunes for the iPad edition. Um, so uh, bad keep, news, bad news agents as well. Keep us in a job. <laughs> keep this podcast coming. Uh, get out and buy the magazine. Enjoy your football this weekend, and we'll catch up with you next week. Four Four Two Insider is a Helms Media Solutions production. Visit helms.com.au to find out more about our services.